What is happening, everybody? Welcome back. It's good to be back, fresh off my little European, I would not call it, I was going to say vacation, but it was definitely not a vacation, but it is good to be back in America, the best country in the world. And no, I'm not pandering. Uh, Welcome back, everybody, to episode 92 of Low Value Mail. Can we believe we've made it? 92 episodes on this January 23rd, 2024, the year of our Lord. Um, Luke says, Danny gray hair. I don't know if it's the light. Are my grays getting worse? Uh, is, is this lifestyle aging me? I don't know. I don't know. But we are back and we have an exciting episode this evening. Joining us, we have Steve Lazarus, a retired FBI special agent. First time author, and he's going to be joining us in about five minutes, about three minutes, actually. Um, and we're going to talk about, uh, just got questions. I got questions. He's, he's on the show. I, uh, I came across him on, um, on TikTok, actually. I found him on TikTok. Uh, he's, he's popping off on TikTok, let me tell you. This is, uh, and we'll, we'll find out if he thinks it's um, some sort of uh, CCP PSYOP. If he's worried about that in any way. Um, so also maybe well, we'll have a few questions for him, actually. Um, but uh, anyways, before we get started, please, everybody like and subscribe to the show. This is the best call in show in the world. I don't know if that's true, but it's a good one. It's a it's a good call in show. So please like and subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. I don't know if if YouTube does this for my show. But I saw another show where they said subscribe, and then the subscribe button lit up. I don't know how it knows that. I mean, that's actually not. Now that I even say it out of my mouth, I go, it's not that crazy that it could figure that out. But uh, anyways, please like and subscribe. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon, uh, you can get one of these fancy wrenches that most of you have, because most of you are awesome and support the show. Uh, I will eventually be adding uh, and maybe like 150 more subscribers uh, another half hour to the show. So that's very exciting. Um, tomorrow night, we're uh, back with an all new episode of the bathhouse live from the stand comedy club green room, uh, 10 30 PM Eastern time. I got some great guests for you. Some fantastic guests. If you, uh, were, I, uh, there was some, some scandals last week on the bathhouse, I guess specifically last week, Derek Drescher, shout out to Derek Drescher for, um, hosting for me while I was away. I heard it was a fun time. And finally, we have an after show tonight. So after show, we'll watch some videos. We will we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Uh, all sorts of stuff. So um, that that's it. That is it. Uh, that's it. Let's let's without further ado, bring on uh, Steve Lazarus, everybody. Let's wait here. Hold on. One moment, please. Do uh, this little move. Uh, Ask to start. Oh, here we go. Oh, no. Sorry. Almost. Oh, there we go. There we go. Steve Lazarus. Thank you for joining me. Uh, I'm very excited for the show. I've been reading all about the FBI. I've been, uh, I listened to you on a podcast. You're, that's the thing. You're a former FBI agent, so there's not a lot of information about you on the internet. I don't know if that's by design uh, or what, but uh, I don't know if they, is there something when, when you, you get out of there, they just scrub you? 
or is that uh, how, how does that work exactly? No, actually, one of the things that I get that that uh, people are surprised at is they say, I, "I thought once you were an FBI agent, my God, you can't go on TikTok, you can't go on Instagram, you can't go on the internet." And that's uh, of course that's not, that's not even close to being true. There's a lot of FBI guys out there who are making a very good living off of our former employer, uh, way out of my league. But in my own case, for instance, like I was never undercover or anything like that. I was never. Uh, I'm not the kind of guy that you know someone's going to try to come and hunt down, except for one guy. And we'll, we'll talk about him in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm we'll, sure. we'll definitely talk about that. Um, but uh, and the other thing was, for three years, I was the mouthpiece for the FBI in Atlanta. So I was. You actually can find if you put Steve Lazarus FBI into uh, Google, you can actually find some of my greatest hits from my days as the media representative for the, the on TV and radio and, and print and what have you in the FBI in Atlanta. Really? Really? Well, then I, I was searching wrong because I searched you up. I found some stuff about you, mostly, I guess, more about your your more recent stuff. Maybe that's just how the uh, search engine optimization is working. So you were uh, an FBI agent for how long? Was it 22 years. 22 years. You uh, recently retired? I retired about five years ago. I retired in October of uh, 2018. Okay. And so how did you, uh, how did you become, how does one become an FBI agent? Do they come like, do they come to you? Is it the kind of thing where they kind of give you a tap on the shoulder? No, I mean, I'm sure there are some people out there who've, who've made friendships with FBI agents and, you know, they've said, Hey, you know, you ought to, you ought to put an application in, but it was just always something I wanted to do. You know, I was a frustrated air force pilot. I made it about halfway through air force pilot training, uh, back in the eighties. And uh, it was the only thing I'd ever failed at in my life. So, you know, I kind of kind of took that hard and I ended up in the military police business and uh, around about 1994, the Air Force sent me to Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota. And if you've never been there, uh, we used to say it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. And I just had to get out, had to go do something else. And I literally put in two applications. I put in one to the FBI and one to the DEA and the FBI got back to me first. So here I am. Was uh because you say you were an Air Force Air Force pilot? Was there a big thing in the in the eighties with Top Gun where people wanted like did the did Top Gun make a lot of people want to become uh join the Air Force? No, yeah, I made them want to join the Navy. The Na- oh, um, that's not the same th- <laughs> not the same thing. <laughs> no, not even close. But uh, uh, I assume uh, because they're not- flying planes, it would be sorry. I'm Canadian. If that if that's any uh, consolation for me, but um. No, so the Air Force and the Navy, I know there those are two separate things, but you right. can be a pilot in the Navy, I guess because they're on the the carriers. Yeah, they're doing all the super sexy stuff like Tom Cruise was doing, you know, being uh, thrown off the ships and being caught by wires when you come back and all that. And the Air Force is just, you know, low and slow, taking off in B-52s off of, you know, 15,000-foot runways. So it's not nearly as sexy. Gotcha, gotcha. And so is there any stuff... I imagine there is, but what degree uh, are you not allowed to speak about certain things? Was like, hey, it's, I mean, it, it's a pretty simple line, actually, and that's anything that that, that was classified, anything that uh, or anything that uh, is in an ongoing case. I, none of the cases that I work are still ongoing. I mean, I, I'm I'm old as hell, um, so I can talk about any of the cases that I worked in, up to and but not including anything that was classified. Right. Um, and most of the stuff that I did when I was a criminal agent, you know, and I the, the first several years I was in the bureau, the first 10 years, I was working drugs and gangs and uh, some domestic terrorist issues. None of that stuff was really classified. I can talk about any of that. Uh, later on in life, I became a bomb technician and got sent off to uh, uh, basically it, it, it's called the Render Safe Unit at Quantico. And it's uh, essentially the FBI's nuclear bomb squad. 
And that's one of the ones that I can tell you I was there, but really can't talk about any of the things we did there because of the the tactics and the techniques and the procedures and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's really the line. I think that any agent would follow anything that's sensitive or classified. Oh, okay. So the, they, they allow you like once you leave, they're just essentially if I guess if it, if it was somewhat public, then that's, I guess, the line, which which makes sense. Um, so I saw that you uh, made one of the first ever uh, sovereign citizen convictions. Is that correct? Oh, you don't in, in, in Vermont. You don't so yeah. I'm a big fan. I don't know because you you have a pretty popular TikTok, right? You got like three hundred thousand followers on TikTok. It's pretty impressive. Two, I'm creeping up on two seventy five. Oh, okay, right so yeah. I was I was rounding up. Excuse me. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I appreciate up. that. Thank but you. so one of my favorite genres of TikTok is uh, both. The sovereign citizens who are constant, and it, there's a bit of a crossover with the sovereign citizens slash the police auditors. You know what I'm talking okay. about? Uh, the sovereign citizens often they go they'll go to like uh, you'll see them go to like a courthouse or something. They always end up getting tased. Like every mm-hmm. video of theirs is them getting tased. They always end in getting tased, always, and it's so funny to me. But so with uh, good reason, by the way. <laughs> so okay, so for people who don't know, what what is in your definition, and maybe you could talk about this this case, but the sovereign citizens, essentially. Yeah, sovereign citizens are a group of people who've decided that they they don't want to adhere to society's rules, so they made up a set of their own. Um, they they rely on some obscure references from old common law. And I mean, old, old English common law. You know, these are guys who will turn their back on a flag in the, in the courtroom if it's got a fringe around it because they say it's the flag of the admiralty. When a police officer stops them to uh, ask for their license, he said, well, you know, where's your driver's license? They say, I'm not driving, I'm traveling. They play little word salad games. You know, yeah, they yeah. act like little, they act like little kids. It, it, it's, it's there's they probably like five you. people watching right now who probably identify as sovereign citizens, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know what? Fuck all of you. Yeah. Let me just let me just let me just say that. It's great. Um, if, if you are a sovereign citizen you're, and you're listening. Uh, and so you. they're just saying they go, we are not members of the United States. We are. of. Just oh, they have. Yeah, they have driver's license like from the British West Indies. Um, the guy that I work was a guy named Timothy Forrest Edgar. Um, or as he called himself, Timothy Forrest of the Edgar clan or something like that. And okay. I, it just came across my radar because I was stationed up in Vermont. I was in the Burlington resident agency, uh, from 2012 to 2014 and talking with one of the sheriffs one day. And he talked about all this, this bullshit paper that this dude had covered him up on. And basically the guy had gone and filed millions upon millions upon millions of dollars of liens against them for these all these bogus things you know for making a traffic stop or for uh you know you name it and, and anything that they're doing in the performance of their duties and they, they fall against the sheriff they fall against police officers they fire them against them. this was ballsy this guy filed them against the irs agents that that tried to collect his taxes liens against ira irs agents how does that even work he, he did. Uh, you can file a lien. Well, you know, like the old the old saying goes, you can indict a ham sandwich. Mm-hmm. Well, you can you can file a lien against anybody. And this guy filed liens against def, uh, is it uh, IRS it fraud if it's like not based in reality or yeah. So where where we got him, if I'm recalling correctly, mind you, it's been ten years. But uh, where we got him was he placed these instruments in the mail, and anytime you have any scheme or artifice to 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 to, to deceive. 
and you place those items in the mail or you transmit them by wire, that's mail fraud, that's wire fraud. That's where those terms come from. Right. That's like it seems that's what they get everybody for always. In the- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. United States. I don't think Canada has that where I've only lived. I've lived here for four years now, but seems in America, everything is just wire fraud because. Well, because there's, because there's so much of it. I mean, mm. it's just become, it's just become the, the thing to do as we, we moved into the information age and, you know, I don't, I don't need to go rob a bank anymore. Uh, you know, I, I can steal a hell of a lot more money with a computer than I can with a gun in a bank. Right. But isn't it just like uh, if you commit a crime, essentially, they'll just kind of add on these. Because if you talk about a crime, essentially, and someone's in a different state, then you go, they can say that's also wire fraud as well. Or, wire, um, or not. No, fraud, that's, but... that's not necessarily wire fraud, but that's like use of inter- interstate telecommunications. Yeah, yeah, device, yeah, but, right. And, and I've, I've gotten guys on that, too, before. And one of the I don't know which podcast you listen to. If you listen to the podcast about the 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 pyromaniac flight attendant, is that? Yeah, yeah, that's to? the one, the FBI uh, case files or something. Yeah, with Jerry Williams. Yeah. Uh, she's a pro, by the way. She's really, really good. Um, but uh, we, we got him for uh, interstate telecommunications device uh, to transmit a bomb threat. And that was the bomb threat against the air tram flight six days after 9-11 so okay we're, we're gonna get that, to that uh very shortly but so do, does okay. the fbi investigate a lot of these sovereign citizens like how does that come across is that just because this guy's like putting out all these liens and so all these people are essentially complaining because i imagine that kind of screws with your i don't know credit rating or all sorts of stuff well i mean you, you it's it's all fun and games until you try to go sell your house and you find out there's a 10 million dollar lien on it you know on a, right. a three hundred thousand dollar house um and uh or if you you try to get a credit card or if you try to get a student loan or or what have you and yeah it's uh it the the sovereign citizens they actually their activity runs across a whole bunch of violations of u.s code so it's it's kind of a natural fit for the fbi to uh uh you know to, to to try to prosecute these guys and when i got to vermont in 2012 and found out about this guy. I mean, my boss, we were a small sub office. Our main office was in Albany, New York. And uh, my boss was thrilled to find out that I had a sovereign citizen out there. He's like, oh, hell yeah, go get him. Just why? Just because he like doesn't like them or he just 
was no because we didn't have too many cases we're always looking to you know to to do different things and, and, gotcha. and uh, you know kind of expand our reach a little bit and uh, he was a gen tim, tim edgar was uh he's not a he's not a, a terribly bad human being he was a, a horribly misguided human being um and i think he i think he ended up spending like three years in jail or something like that it wasn't something too terribly long but i'm sure he's back at it there's it, with every fiber of my being, I'm sure he's he's back at it. He was a true believer. He drank every last bit of the Kool-Aid and left none for anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I would think if you're a sovereign citizen and then you get thrown in jail, you probably come out, you're like more more of that versus less because you go, yeah, it's like this is exactly what I'm talking about. They just threw me in a cage for my beliefs, essentially, is what they feel like. I imagine they feel like they go, it's and they, they're all like not paying taxes. That's a big thing. They don't want to pay taxes and... All that stuff. Don't don't pay taxes. Don't have driver's licenses. Um, uh, I actually saw a you know you 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 talked about you know what happens when they get when they get stopped by law enforcement or the police or you know getting tased or what have you. I saw a uh, without going too much too much into it. I saw a great video of a traffic stop and and imagine this if you will. Even if you're Canadian, you can probably imagine this. Uh, one of these sovereign citizens got stopped at about two o'clock in the morning on a uh, back road by a state trooper in southern Georgia and uh, tried his spiel with that state trooper. It did not end well. Yeah, because they don't like they won't put up their windows and stuff. And they're all just they're like, I don't have to do any of this. They just say, I don't have to do this. Right. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> one of my reels on TikTok recently was one was things not to do during a traffic stop. And uh, uh, I, I kind of make fun of the people who just yell at you through the window in that in that reel. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But then there are TikTok. If you ever go down that rabbit hole, there are the guys who they'll go through like a maybe on in the southern states, like a immigration checkpoint, or not necessarily a immigration, but like a ICE checkpoint. But it's like still in the United mm -hmm. States, but near the border. And then they will straight up, they'll just put their window down like one little crack. And then I mm -hmm. guess they, some of them get away. I guess you don't always see how they they turn turn out, but sometimes they'll. They'll make it through. But OK, so enough about the sovereign citizen stuff, uh, even though I, I am uh, partial to it. Sure. So you were um, involved. Uh, I was listening on this podcast. Um, actually, you know what? Before we get to this, one more thing. OK, so there's a lot of talk. You're on TikTok. You're a former uh, FBI agent. There's a lot mm -hmm. of people who have uh, some concerns about TikTok, uh, specifically the CCP's involvement in it do you have any concerns of that regard do you ever think about that in any capacity because i imagine that would be i don't know if that would be more something the cia would deal with or the fbi or i don't even know i just could be talking shit uh but do you do you have any thoughts about that well i mean i'm aware of it i'm aware of, of who runs tiktok i'm aware it's 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 chinese government that runs it and i'm aware that Owning that platform and managing that platform gives them uh, access to a tremendous amount of valuable material. On a personal level, I'm not terribly concerned. There's a little bit of me that says, yeah, maybe it sucks a little bit that it can be used to, to you know, sort of regulate public opinion and uh, the seeds, sow the seeds of discord and what have you and affect elections. But I don't know, man. There's almost a part of me that says, can the Chinese really fuck us up any more than we've done ourselves? Really? I yeah. mean, seriously, with, with Facebook and with all the different social media platforms out there, I mean, you know, we can only be led astray to the extent we're, we're willing to be led astray, and to the extent that we're willing to sort of, you know, 
turn a blind eye to things and just, you know, accept what, it, what somebody feeds us because it's some random guy on TikTok. So I, I, you know, I get the fact that there's a downside to it, but I also think there's a tremendous upside to platforms like TikTok and Instagram that allow people to get information and ideas and, and, and whatnot out there that otherwise they might not have a stage to do that on. Right. I guess the concern is that there, and I know that te- technically TikTok is USA is a different entity than TikTok or whatever in uh, in China, but obviously people are like, you know, they're obviously in bed and then they're like the Chinese government essentially owns all Chinese companies or has like, you know, board seat. They have control of all Chinese companies. So essentially it's the Chinese government. Okay. Actually I have one more thing that, that I, and then we're going to get to this because you're sure. a former FBI agent. I don't know. Do you spend a lot of time on Twitter? I do almost, I think my social media gal has put a few of my things on Twitter um, well, we started the whole social media campaign just like, like nine months ago, I had no social media campaign. I had no social media, anything. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on TikTok. I wasn't on Instagram, nothing, zero. Simpler times. Um, huh? this, is all, this is all in nine months. And she said, well, let's go up on, on Twitter as well, because the whole point of this was to try to sell books, you know, try to advertise my, you know, build my author brand. And I said, what about Twitter? She said, yeah, we should, we should do that too. We got no traction on Twitter at all. Yeah. Zero. Because it doesn't no. have an algorithm similar to TikTok. Like, you're not really... It's very difficult to get going on uh, Twitter, whereas TikTok, like, you can just make a video and a million people will see it. Um, yeah. Okay, so are, are you familiar with... Uh, it was... Uh, I believe it was this weekend in New York City, and the, I'm going to have some disagreement with people who are watching the show, but so are, are you familiar with the, the group Patriot Front? Do you know who they are? They, they had a demonstration in New York. They're essentially, like... I don't know if they're necessarily white nationalists, but they're like in that vein of these like far right people. They wear, uh, they cover their faces and they go, they do these demonstrations and they're very like ethno nationalists. Everybody on Twitter. And I personally do not think that they are uh, and he, like you, you maybe are like, think this is crazy, but there is a huge amount of people who believe that they uh, are essentially like an FBI plant or whatever psyop or whatever i don't believe that maybe they've been infiltrated i'm sure the fbi infiltrates all sorts of groups and people in the chat will probably say right now they're like no they are all fbi agents and maybe you're i'm not you're not even the guy to ask but it just kind of popped in my head do you have any sort of uh opinion on this at all yeah um having been in the fbi and and having you know been attuned to all things fbi for you know the last 25 to 30 years um, you, you start to, you develop almost a little, a thick veneer against some of the crazy shit that's said about the FBI. We've been accused of everything from killing the MLK to killing JFK to bringing down the Twin Towers to orchestrating January 6th. And now we've formed our own white supremacy group. Um, look, man, there are some things for me that are just non, they're just conversation non-starters. Mm-hmm. Um, and if somebody I'm not accusing so you of from, that, I'm not, by, just to be clear. Oh, no, 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 that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying, if I'm talking to Joe Public on the street and he says, and, and, you know, he says, hey, man, you know, we know it was you that started, that, that, that was behind January 6th. You orchestrated the whole thing. Man, I just got to break eye contact and walk away because at some point I know I'm just staring off into the abyss and the abyss is staring back at me and, I'm talking to somebody who's so just functionally illiterate that it's a conversation non-starter. So this notion that the FBI has got nothing better to do than go out and, and actually form 
its own white nationalist group or whatever the hell they are with their their masks and marching around. Yeah. Um, I think that comes from two two places. I think people need a boogeyman in their life to help them understand all the bad things that go on around them because they cannot just understand that sometimes shitty people do shitty things. So they need a boogeyman in their life. And I think that they they need that boogeyman to sort of, you know, be a, an element of the U.S. government because we can all, at some level, all of us despise our governments, whether it's Canadian or British or U.S. Oh, US. don't get me started on the Canadian government right now, pal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I but yeah. Know, I don't know if you've been following yeah, what's going so, on with them, but. So my my uh, my response to somebody who would say something like that is bless your heart, have a nice day, break out contact, walk away. Okay. Um, and yeah, because the funny thing to me and that I've always found with the Patriot Front thing is they're probably like these legitimate fringe group. And then they actually can't even get taken seriously because everybody's like, you guys are FBI agents. And they're like, no, we're not. We're not FBI agents. <laughs> they're like, we're white supremacists. And they're like, no, you're not. You're all FBI agents. How dare you besmirch our reputation <laughs> by calling us FBI agents? It is, it is such a... I, I, I was trying to like think of a comedy sketch to make about it because the idea that they're like doing all these marches and like nobody takes them seriously even though they're doing all this like... And they're very much like, no, we're not. I And again, I don't believe they are. Uh, but I, anyways, okay. So let's get to this, uh, the, this story you, uh, this was what, this was right after nine 11. So actually give us the story. Cause this is, uh, this is pretty wild. Uh, really. Yeah. It's, it started in May of 20 of 2003. Got a call from my boss to, that a, a Delta flight uh, it was actually calm air, which was one of those you know, little small commuter, uh, subsidiaries of Delta had taken off from Atlanta and had done an emergency landing in Rome, Georgia, because of smoke and, and fire in the lavatory. It was one of these little, uh, it's a little Embraer jet, so it's a 50-seater. Everybody's seen, you know, a little two-and-two two configuration. And uh, we get up there, and clearly there's been a fire, and the flight attendant put it out. And we start talking to everybody, and we start taking all the witness statements. And it didn't take... You know, this this wasn't like my most shining moment of, of the most detective-y thing I ever did in my life. But we were all like, well, shit, the flight attendant did it. And uh, we, we started looking at this guy. His name was Turhan Lamans. And uh, we pulled pulled the newspaper out of the trash. It was started with the, I think it was the sports section or the living section of the USA Today from that day. And uh, he was talking with one of our, one of our agents. And, and he said, well, you know, we're going to fingerprint this. He said, well, you're not going to find my fingerprints on there. And, you know, we fast forward for a while. We talked to every single witness, said that nobody had been back in that lavatory from the time the plane took off, from the time they got on the plane until the fire was was put out, except the flight attendant. At one point, he was down on his hands and knees. He was, you know, rummaging around and underneath the sink. They didn't understand why. Uh, then he called the captain. Sorry, sorry to, uh, this was post 9-11? This is uh, May 8th of 2003. Okay. So uh, I'll speed it along because I know we're on limited time here, but eventually we pull his fingerprints off of there. We, 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 we've got him pretty much dead to rights on that. I'm sitting there having a conversation because I was the airport agent. I was working at Atlanta airport at the time. I was the airport liaison agent. And I'm sitting there having a cup of coffee with a buddy of mine who's Atlanta police department. And he said, uh, did you ever figure out who set that fire? I said, yeah, a flight attendant named Turhan Lamond. He says, are you shitting me? I said, no. He said, why? I said, why? He says, uh, we arrested him for calling a bomb threat in on his own flight when he worked for AirTran uh, back in 2001. As a matter of fact, it was six days after 9-11. <laughs> you got to be fucking kidding me. 
and, and so he, we and he was able to get a job again yeah it was a huge black eye for com air um he was arrested he was never indicted i asked i said well what what happened with it he said well he just got busy with other stuff and we never could never thought we could prove it so i took it to the, the prosecutor jane swift who was the the assistant u.s attorney uh in charge of the the, the uh, arson case and she said oh yeah let's let's go get the see if we can prove this we can get the phone records we got the phone records we ended up uh, we ended up uh, convicting the guy in two separate trials, um, and he got 22 years. Whatever he got, he's in jail until next, what is today, the 23rd? He's got a year and two days left to do. It wasn't even like a, it's not some sort of, I guess it was because he put so many people people's lives at risk, but like, don't normally, it seems like a lot of time without... Uh, like, don't normally people serve like a third of that or whatever? No. So in the federal system, there's no federal parole. That was abolished back in 1994 with the, the Omnibus Crime Bill Act or something, whatever it was. And uh, you can get one day off out of seven. You can get a day a week off. So one seventh of your sentence. So what is that? You know, 0.14 of your sentence off. So with credit for time served, like he's three, getting out. three years or four years off or something. Yeah. I think by the time we actually put him away and he started his prison sentence, it was like, Oh, six by then, because, you know, he was out for a while. You know, he had the bit, if you listen to the podcast, he had the bit where he stalled for time by claiming he had uh, cancer right? Um, with, with the doctor. And he sent, he sent the fake note to the judge through his attorney. And we found that we tacked more time on for that. And, yeah, he's a mess. Essentially, he was just like some psycho who just was doing. I mean, you have to be pretty unhinged to light a bathroom of a plane on fire. You'd think so. Yeah, you'd yeah. think so. He, he never, he never admitted to it, and he certainly never told us why he did it because he never told us that he did it. So we just right. So he never even was there any because uh, I imagine when anything aviation related happens, is the first instinct with the FBI is just terrorism. Um, no, because that would be a it'd be a pretty shitty terrorist act. I mean, pretty low on the, on the spectrum. If you ask me, I mean, if you're going to, you're going to blow a plane out of the sky, blow it out of the sky, you don't try to just light a fire on it, but I mean, uh, doesn't everybody have to take their shoes off right now because of that one guy who had this bomb. Richard Reed, the, the, Richard right? Reed, the shoe bomber. Yeah. It's like that thing didn't even go off. Didn't it? And it's like, uh, no, he was, he was trying to light it in his seat. He actually had a lighter out and he was trying to light his shoes. He had a shoe in his hand. He was trying to light him in his seat, and uh, it was long enough after 9-11 that if you sneezed the wrong way, every passenger was going to beat your ass, and that's essentially what happened. He got his ass beat. Right, but but since then, we've all had to uh, remove our shoes at the airport. So I just, well, not me. I got I got TSA pre-check. Yeah, you so. got the TSA pre-check. I don't have that yet. I just, I'm still working on that. Um, okay, so to, to, uh, I guess we, we covered that one story. There was another thing that uh, involved was in Atlanta – uh is this so your book uh just came out when very recently like uh, in october fall? yeah it just came out in october and so it's related to um another case that you work on and we're gonna open the phone lines in a little bit there might be some wild some wild questions but uh i apologize yeah yeah it should be fine but um so, yeah, yeah yeah i uh so anyways t tell us ab about your 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 book a bit and and then we're, we're gonna open the question uh phone line shortly yeah, so it's called Call Me Sunny, and it's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, other places where fine books are sold. And the inspiration for it was in 1998, I locked a guy up for threatening. This is when I was working domestic terrorism. He, he threatened 
a uh, to unleash a bioterror attack on the Atlanta subway system. But it was on the July 4th. This is interesting. It was on the July 4th weekend, 1998. So we identified the guy. We went and arrested him, uh, several of us. And my partner and I took him for his arraignment in front of the judge, which is the, the very first initial appearance where, you know, the, 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 the two FBI agents are still responsible for your security. We haven't turned you over to the U.S. Marshals Service yet. So he's sitting at the defendant's table. We're sitting behind and we're waiting for the judge to show up for his arraignment. And he turns and he says, uh, yeah, when I get out, I'm going to kill both of you and your families and your wives and your kids. And, and you can count on it. And uh, we just said, oh, OK, and we sat, we wrote everything down and and uh, made sure that that was made part of the, the case. And he got an additional five years for that. So he got 15 years from our case. So he got and less course, than the other guy. He got less than the other guy, but but he he made good. He made the best use of his time. He continued threatening people all throughout uh, his time in jail, um, and judges, and assaulting other prisoners, and assaulting prison guards to the point to where he got another ten years. He's been in jail for the past twenty five years, and he is due out. Drum roll, July fourth of this year. Really? He is, he's actually due out. But the, the reason that I wrote the book, not the reason, but the inspiration for the book was my, at the time, wife always worried, well, what if he could hire a hitman from jail, you know, to, to, to carry out his threat? You know, I don't care that he's locked up. I thought, yeah, 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 I kind of waver off and everything. And, and when it came time to write a book, I thought, well, what if you could hire a hitman from jail to, to settle a vendetta from when you, from when you were arrested? So I, I wrote a book about it. Okay. Um, people all, we'll, we'll drop the link so people can uh, check that out if they like. I'm curious, sure. and we're going to open the, the phone lines uh, very shortly, as mentioned, but what kind of stuff right now in terms of, uh, I guess, security-wise in the United States, what, like, what kind of stuff are you worried about? Is, are there specific things that concern you uh, at the moment that maybe more so? Like, are you concerned about terrorism? Like, I was wondering, you worked in the bomb squad, right, for, for uh, or uh, in some sort of capacity as, like, a bomb... Um, what was the exact uh, title? So I was a bomb technician. Bomb technician. And so you're like you're like in those big suits. Uh, yeah, spent a little bit of time in the suits. Spent more time in uh, digging around and smoking holes in places like Afghanistan and Iraq, trying to put bombing scenes back together so we could figure out, you know, trying to put the device back together and sifting through everything from the human remains to the bomb bits to the crater to the explosive residue to try to figure out who made this thing. Uh, and so we could, you know, send the military to go shoot them in the face. Um, in terms of a terrorist attack, it's, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen again, it's when it's going to happen again. And, you know, will they catch us with our pants down to the tune of, you know, of, of a nine 11? I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of unlikely. I think we've, we've hardened ourselves a little bit beyond something like that. But the thing that keeps me up at night is the idea of a cyber attack a massive cyber attack shutting down power grids, shutting down communications networks, shutting down transportation networks, and just, you know, crippling our country um, yeah. and, and and your country and, you know, as much of the Western world as they can. Cripple. I mean, I, I do live in, I live in New York City. I'm just from Canada. Uh, okay. But yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I always joke that every doomsday scenario literally takes place a mile from my house. 
like every single one. It starts one mile from where I live, essentially. So I'm just I'm just hoping they just if it's a nuke or something, I'm I'm just they get me first. What what are the like? Does the FBI have massive amounts of resources dedicated to preventing something like a cyber attack? Like, are people kind of like huge amounts of people working on this on a daily basis? Yeah, twenty. Yeah, yeah, twenty four seven. Which is one of the reasons I, I, I just again another one of the conversation stoppers with me. That's just a non starter. I got to break eye contact and walk away. When people say stupid shit like we should shut down the FBI, no, nah, dude, you know, fuck you. I'm sorry your guy didn't win didn't win the presidency, or you know, I'm I'm, I'm sorry that something didn't go your way and the FBI happened to have had an investigation on it. But the notion of shutting down the agency that is leading and and trust me, Danny, leading. The, uh, the 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 counter cyber uh, attack, the counter the counter terrorism attack, uh, the counter espionage effort to keep this country safe. The, the the notion of shutting them down is 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 so stupid, so as to not even warrant a response. And 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 I don't say that so as to say that the FBI is perfect and there's not things that haven't gone wrong. There's not things that 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 don't need to be fixed. But I'm not a I'm not a big throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of guy. Yeah, and like. I don't even, you know, I don't know how much this can be uh, spoken to, but like, how, do a lot of things happen, but you know, where we're getting close to these kind of like terrorist attacks that we just don't know about because they're foiled? Like, do they announce when they foil terrors when they stop terrorist yeah, attacks? So, here's, so here, here, here's the saying, you know, how many safe landings were there at JFK last year? I don't know, all of them, I all guess, them. right? Yeah, all of them. Literally yeah, all yeah. Of them. You know why? You know why? Because they don't report the safe landings. They only report the crashes. Right. And it's it's the it's that's just a real world, you know, sort of analogy. They don't report uh, every single time we lock up a terrorist, every single time we break up a child porn ring, every single time we break up a cyber cybersecurity threat or or foil one. You know, only only if something screws up or. And this is one of my favorite things. You know, the FBI has become so weaponized. No, what it's become is it's become a wep- a political weapon for politicians to use when things don't go their way. You know, I, you know, Bob Menendez, you know, we, we can, this can go one of two ways. You know, the, the Republicans can say it's being used against Trump. The, the Democrats can say it's being used against Bob Menendez. You know, anytime that the FBI is investigating you, it's this political witch hunt by this weaponized agency. No, not really. Yeah, I mean James Comey in 2016. Essentially, there was charges on both sides, right? Because he did the he wrote the letter about Hillary Clinton's emails and all that stuff, which some people say is the reason why she lost. And then Trump was like, "He's coming after him," and so. Oh, yeah. he 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 pulled Comey pulled off like the Daily Double, man. I mean, he managed to piss off both sides, which is almost almost impossible. I mean, first he gets up and says that he's not we're he, we're not charging Hillary Clinton, and let, let me tell you what. When he said that, every FBI agent that I personally know, and by the way, we almost all lean conservative politically, every FBI agent that I know was sitting there going, what the hell is he talking about? The FBI doesn't make charging decisions. The United States Attorney's Office, the Department of Justice makes those charges. We don't, we don't make those. And then, so so that that gave, of course, her, her a big head of steam. And then what was it, two weeks before the election, he said, oh, no. Uh, Hold on, we are taking a look again at the emails. There may be something, in fact, wrong here. And on both cases, we were all just sitting there going, like, why is this guy running his mouth in public? Good God. Do you have any, or can you, like, do you have any opinions on that, of why he was doing that? I don't know. 
I don't know. I I, I realize that know, the FBI is a huge organization. I looked it up before. It's like 35,000 yeah, employees. Yeah, and, and I also realize that when the FBI director comes to work, he's got a whole different set of problems on his desk than I'll ever see. My sense, and this is, look, dude, seriously, this is just Steve Lazarus guessing here. My guess is that Loretta Lynch probably told him, look, man, here's the way it's going to be, and you're going to be the mouthpiece for the DOJ that's going to go out and say this. And and I think it probably sometime after that famous meeting on the tarmac. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I think probably, but I that that is a complete guess. That is conjecture on my part. Sure. Let me be clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's understandable. Yeah, I always wondered because, like, with all the the measures, with especially like like you know the Russia collusion stuff. Like, was that a big was something that a lot of you guys were talking about? I, I and I again, I imagine it was like a different. None of us knew about that because unless you were in the counterintelligence world, unless and not only in the counterintelligence world, but unless you were in the counterintelligence world at headquarters where this case was being run, I had no idea this was going on. I didn't even I didn't even know about this whole Russia collusion thing until I don't know, I, I, you know, until I saw it on the news like everybody else. So probably right. after probably after I was retired. Okay. All but right, we got our, we got our uh, first call of the night. Uh, one moment, please. Whoa, and uh, hold on. Hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is yeah. Rafe. Rafe, what's up, man? Hold on while we patch you through. And all right, Rafe, you're on with Steve Lazarus. Go ahead. All right, I got a couple questions, bud. How's it going? Good, Rafe. How you doing, my friend? Doing well. Um, so first question popped up when you said that you worked in Vermont for a couple of years. I was wondering if you knew anything about the nitrous mafia that, uh, sells nitrous at like Grateful Dead shows and like <laughs> shows and shit like that. No, but, uh, but I'm impressed that they, that they gave themselves a mafia name. That's, that's, yeah, they're, that's uh, they're, they're it's a bunch of fat white boys from Boston. Yeah. That's pretty, sure, that's so. pretty, I mean, how do you build a mafia I mean, what, I don't like, think they're like, they're not a real like a five dollar balloon, right? Uh, yeah. They're yeah, usually but, I mean, just... you sell you sell you know two for twenty. That's you know you make a lot of money off the tank. So <laughs> here's what I know about nitrous. Here's what I know about nitrous, man. Did you watch uh, Tulsa King with Sylvester Stallone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I know about nitrous, man. I mean, I I, I was like, oh shit, that's actually a thing. People people. Take these tanks to these parties and, you know. If, if you ever go outside of a, a Grateful Dead concert or, like, a Fish concert, any jam band right now, like, even, like, I'm right a block away from Madison Square Garden, and if Fish plays a concert, the moment you walk out after the concert, all you hear is... <laughs> And then balloons <laughs> popping and flying all through the air. It's it's quite the scene. And then eventually what happens is the cops, because it's illegal. It's like a weird gray area because it's not an illegal thing. Like to have nitrous, it's just like, you know, any restaurant has it. But sell it is. So then you'll see the cops. They're all no, but they running, have like medical grade. Running. Yeah, but they're not the medical illegal. grade one. And they're all running up and down the streets. So, and then cops are like. So is this what raves? Is this what raves have become? Is, is this is this like no, the raves? Still the doing, no, they're still doing pills. No, they're this doing, is like this is jam bands. This is Vermont band. hippie jam bands. Yeah, yeah. This, this is, is like what's popular. Stuff. They're from Vermont. Fish is from Vermont. I know. Um, I know. Ben and Jerry's uh, Ben and Jerry's fish food is named for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, all right. So uh, the third question I, oh, the second question I had 
was uh, what do you think is like the biggest FBI fuck up that's like public that a lot of people know about? I got my answer, but you got you got yours. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to? No, no, I want you to go first. <laughs> Um, the most public one that I think did the most damage was the whole Peter Strzok, Lisa Page affair. And I'm and literally the affair, um, because when you're dealing with something as sensitive as investigating a presidential candidate, you have got to not only be above approach, you've got to appear above reproach and all those text messages yeah. that were going back between them. Uh, back and forth about, you know, oh, we've got this plan, just, you know, backup plan in case Donald Trump is elected. Man, we're that's that's not what we're supposed to be about. In the FBI, we're supposed to be about being nonpartisan. We're supposed to be about protecting the rights of every American citizen, whether we agree with them politically or not. And I just wish I had been there on the day he was let out of the Hoover building because I would have liked to have been the last one to kick him in the ass on the way out the door. Well, and Heather, because yeah, sure. I don't remember there being a lot of like, politicization of the fbi is that a more recent thing like with the there's really well i'm going to repeat what i said before um look man I, mean, I think i think since okc and ruby ridge the the highlight on fbi profiling and like you know cases in general or you have a lot i have a lot more scrutiny i would say those two are like the big like you know people are like what's what's going on here well i mean thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to look at Waco and Ruby Ridge, I, you know, we could spend weeks talking about that and everything. I actually know guys who were there. I know guys who were members of the hostage rescue team who were at both scenes. Uh, I've met Lon You should Brady. totally come back on the show and do, like, just the Ruby Ridge episode. I've, but I know uh, a lot of people want to call in and shit. I don't want to take up a whole episode. All right, thanks, yeah, man. no worries. No worries. No worries. But here, here's here's the thought I would leave you with, and, and I, I think it's a fair thought, is – uh, why was the FBI there? What happened to the prior to them getting there and what other agencies had been there first and what had they done that necessitated the FBI being there in both cases? And I'll leave it at that. Okay. I guess people can, uh, uh, go, go do some research on that, I suppose. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we got another call here. One moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling low value mail. Hey, Danny, it's Sean from Pittsburgh. Hey, Sean, uh, just patching you through now. And all right, you're on with Steve Lazarus. Go ahead, Sean. Hey, Steve, first question. Are you drinking a white Russian there? Okay, so I will. I will hey, Sean, what's going on? I will tell everybody what I'm drinking. I do not want to hear any fucking calls for me to turn in my man card because I'll tell you where I got this drink from. This is uh, Fireball and Rum Chata. And where I got it from was a member, honest to God, member of SEAL Team 6 that I was on a training evolution with back in 2015 down in Damneck, Neck, Virginia. And if he can drink it, by God, I can drink it. All right. There you go. It looks delicious. Hell yeah, that sounds legit. No, <laughs> not I think that it I'm, sounds not pretty that good. I'm defensive about it or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead, Sean. No, not at all. No, that sounds delicious. No, my my question for you, Steve, here is um, uh, PatCon. What is the end game? Tell me what you said again. PatCon. PatCon. Yeah, PatCon. Get me, get me smart on that. Uh, what, what are you talking about? What's PatCon? Uh, what Patriot conspiracy or pa- I believe uh, that's what it was in uh, the nineties. 
Oh, we had someone uh, actually a previous episode. Sorry, what was uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, sorry, can you fill me in? Uh, my brain's not working. Or fill both of us in, actually. Yeah. Hello. You still there? Um, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah. What, what was? Tell us what PatCon is. PatCon's get you. Yeah, the PatCon's get you. Well, so the the whole situation that we had with um, the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, Randy Weaver, it seemed like the 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 whole infiltration of the quote unquote the right wing. But I mean, how how the FBI was so involved in that? I just would like to know, like, what is their end goal? Is it to make is it to make the white man look bad? I'm not. I'm not really sure what you're asking. When you talk about the FBI being infiltrating things, I don't think the FBI was at all infiltrated with Timothy McVeigh or Randy Weaver or anybody else. Certainly, well, the, in those in those times, so you saw you saw a big sort of a uptick or resurgence almost in right wing violence back in the early '90s, and it traces uh, it traces back to the end of the to February 28th, 1993 was the uh, was the um, end of the Waco siege and uh, excuse me, it was the beginning of the Waco siege and April 19th was the end. And then two years later was Oklahoma city. So we had a lot of right wing rage going on. And of course, you know, the FBI being the lead counterterrorism agency in the United States had to get involved in that. Um, so I don't know about infiltrating. Um, I do know that there was a lot of investigation that went on. I know that a lot of people got locked up. I actually worked those cases um, back from like 97 to 99. Um, and I, again, infiltrating, I, I'm not sure I understand the term or what you mean by that. If what you mean is, did the FBI put people in these organizations undercover? Did they infiltrate them with sources? Well, yeah, that's, that's how you investigate crimes. That's how, that's how we gain inside knowledge into, into organizations, whether it's a drug trafficking organization or a domestic terrorism organization or a spy ring, the way that we gain information is either to recruit one of their people from inside the organization to talk to us, a so-called snitch, or to put our own undercover people inside that operation. And that's all, as long as it's done within the bounds of the, of, of, of the law and of the attorney general's guidelines, it's all very legitimate ways to go about uh, fighting crime. Fair enough answer. No, so uh, my, I guess if I could expand on it, like the, this recent situation we had with Gretchen Whitmer, it turns out that the majority of the people that were involved in the situation were agents. Um, I would like to take it back to the Randy Weaver situation where he was caught uh, modifying weapons and selling them to an agent. I mean, like, so how often is the majority of a targeted group uh, feds or agents? Um, I would say that almost never it's the majority. And I, I actually would argue that the, the, uh, the majority of the people involved in the Gretchen Whitmer uh, uh, kidnapping or non-kidnapping or whatever it turned out to be, I know some of them got acquitted and some of them got convicted. Um, that I would argue with you about the uh, whether or not it was the majority of them or not. As far as Randy Weaver, you understand that was an ATF case. That was not an FBI case. 
Uh, the FBI was brought on for consequence management after they killed an FTA agent, an ATF agent, and a marshal. Uh, so the F the FBI was there for consequence management. Same thing with uh, uh, with Waco. Um, the F the ATF were the ones who had the case on the Branch Davidians, David Koresh. Uh, the ATF were the ones who made what actually turned out to be an ill advised entry into the compound. Uh, the FBI was brought up was brought off to uh, uh, to to clean up the mess afterwards. With regard to Gretchen Whitmer, I think the biggest problem there, and if you're familiar with the case. You know, again, you know, we shoot ourselves in the foot. We got, if I'm not mistaken, you know, the uh, the case agent was beating his wife. And goddamn, man, you know, you just you, you cannot you cannot get past perception management like that, man. We 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 if we're going to hold ourselves up to be, you know, a uh, the, the the pinnacle of law enforcement in the United States, and I I do honestly believe that the FBI is that, then we can't have people sending text messages to their their mistresses about keeping Donald Trump out of the White House or beating their wives or doing things like that. So again, another another self-inflicted injury. But if I'm not mistaken, a court of law did find about half the defendants in the Whitmer case to be guilty. I think it was yeah, so, something along those lines. Um, all right, any, anything else, caller? No, Danny, thanks. Thanks a whole lot, and Steve. Have a great night. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Take care, brother. I'm wondering actually if you if you can give any uh, maybe your opinion on because we were, we were talking about the Oklahoma City bombing uh, recently and if you I, I'm sure you know quite a bit about it but there was a second suspect at the time mm -hmm. uh, and then they eventually just said he didn't exist do you do you remember that like that uh, essentially they're saying there's there was a man with Timothy McVeigh and they had like a sketch of him all that stuff and then eventually they just gave up on looking for him I, I now we had someone on who basically said it was in order for them to just uh solidify their case against timothy mcveigh they couldn't have some guy that they like couldn't find it would be too many questions um for their case so they just essentially um abandoned looking for him and said he he they were like mistaken and that he doesn't exist. I don't. I don't, know I don't recall. Knows. I don't recall that. Of course, I, re I recall Terry Nichols. You know. Yeah, was, Terry Nichols was. Most, uh, no, but they said most that there certainly was certainly an accomplice. Yeah, yeah, um, Terry, yeah, yeah. It wasn't uh, Terry Nichols. It was a, a a person who was with him in the van essentially that day. And they had. Yeah, I, yeah. I have no idea. I do know that when you get into cases that are this big and you start interviewing that many witnesses, and I'm not. I'm not trying to pawn this off. Or I'm not. Not. No, not right. trying to. You know, dismiss it. Or, but. Man, the fog of war just creeps in real, real fast in things like this. And you have people saying all kinds of things and you have people seeing things that didn't happen. You have people not seeing things that did happen. So I don't know. I, I do know this. There is not a shred of doubt in my mind or in the mind of anybody who worked the case or sat on the jury that the right man got a needle stuck in his arm in Terre Haute, what, five years later, six years later? Yeah. Um, and that and that that was uh, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols is where he belongs. He's uh, underground at Admax out in Florence, Colorado. Uh, he's where he belonged. The two people I don't think really got enough time in that. And I forget their names. They were the couple in Arizona where he stayed for a little while. And he actually sat at their kitchen. It was a married couple and he sat at their kitchen table and he used soup cans to show them how he was going to arrange the barrels of explosives in the back of the rider truck. And I forget their name. One of your callers might, might, might remember it or not. But I, 
I think they got off really easy. She got nothing and he got like a couple of years. I think both of their assets should have been under the jail. Yeah. I think anybody who had anything to do with that should be under the jail or dead. Yeah, I agree. Is there um like like do they track that stuff more like once uh something like that happens do they basically change like can you buy that much fertilizer for example right now without getting on some sort of <laughs> watch list you know what i mean because so, i imagine he managed to do it before with no problem and then they go hey we got to watch out for this stuff are they always reacting i guess is my question yeah so you can try to track that stuff but but here's the problem i mean if 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 you're most people are going to build a bomb we're not going to go buy 50 pound sacks of ammonium nitrate um and and even then you have to you have to fuel it with something. Ammonium nitrate is the is the oxidizer. You still need a fuel. Um, ammonium nitrate, the scale of production of ammonium nitrate in this country, you understand it's one of the most commonly used agricultural fertilizers out there. And the scale of production is such that from the time it leaves the plant where it's all made and goes into rail cars and then goes into silos, and then goes into smaller trucks. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. And then goes to packaging. You know, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller it goes, as it goes down the supply chain. The scale of that delivery is such that literally tens of thousands of tons can go missing. Right. And, it's within, and it's within the acceptable deviance uh, of, of weights and measures from station to station to station to station. Great. It's, it's scary. That, that is concerning. It's scary. Although yeah. I guess has there been um, has there been a bombing using ammonia nitrate since since OKC here here in the United States in the United, in the United States yeah in the United States I can't think of many they were using it like crazy over in Afghanistan when I was there um, the the explosive du jour in the United States is is pretty much anything you can cook up using uh, you know diff- different kinds of uh, of homemade you know um, peroxide-based explosives and sugar-based explosives and alcohol-based explosives. And they're, unfortunately, the recipes are all over YouTube. So, right. Okay, we got a caller. One moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey. Uh, oh, I got to turn anything um, hey, off. Hi, Danny. It's hey, 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 just uh, one moment while we patch you through. All right, you're on with Steve Lazarus. Go ahead. What's up, Danny? Hi, it's Ray from California. Uh, I had a question for uh, uh, former agent Lazarus based upon some of his comments around um, the FBI having successfully thwarted chemical attacks. When I moved to Tokyo in 1999, when we first moved there, the uh, embassy had us do training uh, based upon the sarin gas attacks. Uh, So... I'm curious, like, when FBI puts out, like, you know, the old school version of, like, duck and cover, uh, how much do they pull from domestically? How much do they pull from internationally? And, like, where are lines drawn between information sharing of of, uh, agencies not dissimilar to the FBI for overseas situations? 
So in, in my experience, uh, one of the things we got better and better at after, and it wasn't just intelligence sharing, after 9-11, it was just information sharing as a whole. Um, one of the things the FBI has been involved in, and I know this as a, as a, as a bomb technician, is getting the word out to the public and getting the word out to uh, to the industries that that put out um, that 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 put out the precursors to make different kinds of explosives and chemical and biological agents. That hey, if you see people buying a lot of these kinds of things, then you need to let the FBI know. You need to let your local authorities know. I'll give you one example: um, peroxide-based explosive things like like TATP, triacetone, tri triacetone triperoxide, um, which is a very, very volatile primary explosive that you can make using concentrated hydrogen peroxide. Um, well, it's a lot easier to make if you can get the beauty salon grade hydrogen peroxide. The stuff you get at Walgreens is like 2%. You can get up to 40% at, uh, at a, a beauty salon uh, or a salon supply store. So one of the places, just as an example, of the in industry outreach that the FBI, you know, started doing back in uh, like the early 2010s, 2008, 09, uh, was to reach out to these beauty supply companies and say, look, if you see people coming in and buying large amounts of these, and they don't have a salon and they don't really look to you like they're in the, in the, uh, the, the beauty business, then why don't you pick up the phone and give us a call? And that's just kind of one example um well, yeah, like the, let, the see let, something let, say something let a brother know see something yeah. say something let a let a naysayer know yes I, I i think that uh that that's one of the areas the fbi has done a very very good job in i i can personally remember going out and covering uh pool pool supply companies beauty supply companies with all these flyers and leaflets saying hey man if you see this you got to give it a call or you got to give the local police a and call. like do they do they get that message to every single company like in the united states eventually yeah so what'll what'll happen is you know headquarters will come down and say probably, yeah, yeah, probably say like, trade association. yeah or, the, or they'll just say identify every single one of these in your in your area and and go out and cover them and then it's not enough that you you say okay then you got to go back and say okay here's here's the places that i covered um so yeah i i think the i think the fbi contrary to what is I think portrayed in a lot of, of media and movies, especially Hollywood. I think the FBI is very, very proactive when it comes to getting information out and sharing it with it, with uh, our, our federal agencies. Yeah. Well, I guess so. Just, um, maybe, maybe I, my question was unclear, but like, and again, it stems specifically from personal experience, having lived in Tokyo, like what other like major international incidents over the past few decades have heavily influenced like what uh, reaction structures are within federal agencies? Like again, just, like you know, before that, before the one in Tokyo, there had there had only been one other attempt at a, a subway attack like that. There are other instances of you know a, a potential alleged you know yeah. criminal. Okay, well, I, I got your answer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got an answer for you, Ray, and that'd be that'd be the London subway bombing seven seven. Um, right. That, yep. that was a number. There were a number of different kinds of improvised explosives that were used in that, um, and actually, based on the subway bombings in uh, in London on seven seven, forget which year it was, but uh, that actually changed 
a lot of what you're able and not able now to carry through TSA. The three ounce rule essentially came about as uh, as a result of that. Really, because of the subway bombings. Uh, subway bombings and a few other things. Yeah, but... um, we, we 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 you know started doing some tests and figuring out like, all right, what what can you do with this? Yeah, like a consensus. Is, yeah, a consensus is reached where like three ounces of X Y Z. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's actually a, a hilarious video if you can ever find it. It's tough to find now, but it's TSA skit on uh, from SNL uh, where they're they're doing some training with uh, TSA agents and trying to get them to name some liquids and gels. And uh, <laughs> at one point they said, "Well, why are we worried about three ounces?" And somebody said, "Well, because the FBI did some tests and figured out that three ounces of explosives is not enough to bring down an airplane." And somebody says, "Well, but four ounces is," and I guess you got to draw the line. I, and I suppose the realistic answer is that in certain cases, yes, three point two is. You know what I mean? Like, right? Uh, you know, that number wasn't arbitrary. I have to imagine. Yeah, but I would I would say that was uh, outside the United States. I think that uh, yeah, Omshinrinko back in uh, back in ninety five that was one. And then uh, the London train bombings, I think, was a kind of a watershed event in, in how we sort of began posturing to, to stop these things from happening in the United States. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like I said, when I moved there, I had to go through like a training seminar. It was very interesting. <sighs> anyway, uh, uh, Stephen, thank you for your time. Danny, thank you for hosting An Amazing Room. This has yeah. been very interesting. Appreciate, uh, it. appreciate it. Thanks for going. Thanks, Ray. Take care. Thank you. Oh no, I did it again. Fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Sorry. Guys, I fucked up. I'm so stupid. Ah, uh, God. Hold on a second. We got, uh, I disconnected from. Ah, I'm so stupid. Okay. Sorry, everybody. I'm an idiot. I don't have a producer. And I'm stupid, and then I accidentally just hung up on the wrong person. Hold on. Let me fix this. Sorry to Steve. Um, this fucking dumb. What a dummy. Sorry, everybody. You're going to have to wait for a minute here. Uh, sorry. Hmm, let's see. Let's okay. Sorry, everybody. I am... Uh, not smart, and I did it again. Hold on, let me see how I can add him here again. Sorry, everybody. I literally am so stupid. Um, uh, sorry. I know you guys are all going to think it's like some fucking conspiracy. (laughs) can't believe I did it. As I was hitting that button, I... Now you have to look at my face twice. Well, we'll at least get rid of that. I'm fucking retarded, guys. Sorry, I'm all still screwed up from... Ah, I might have to restart this Zoom thing. Okay, well, we'll just take a call. Hey, welcome to the fucking Stupid Idiot Show. I'm your host, the Stupid Idiot. Uh, um, hey, I'm up? guessing you're still trying to get get no, the head back on. No. I, what? He, he did that? He, did no, that? I accidentally fucking...
Uh, I, I'm emailing him right now. Yeah, dang, uh, I, I, man, I could have given such a better thing on the PatCon discussion. Let me see if he can, he's able to hop back on here. Um, if not, I got him on the PatCon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll stay on the line. How's it going? Do you have any uh, complaints or... Um, you know, um, concerns. He used you were my most feared caller of the night. Uh, click to connect. Uh, oh, Danny, I wouldn't want to say anything to hurt the channel. I would never do such uh, a thing. Join the computer audio. Hold on. No, that's sorry. Anyways, go on. Continue. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to get him back on here without making a new thing. Hello? Oh, did we lose him? Oh, click. Oh, sorry. Hello? Hey, sorry. Hello? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I fucking. Um, it's only because I. Just, ah, okay. Hold on. I got to make a new Zoom call. One moment, please. I am so fucking stupid. It's the stupid idiot hotline. Sorry. Oh, this is what happens when you're just, you have a stupid person dealing with the show. Um, all right, Zoom, start a meeting with video. Where's the link? Okay, we sent him a new link. We should be back up momentarily. My apologies. I haven't done this in so long. Ugh. Dumb. This is a dumb man right here. You're looking at a dumb guy. Uh, apologize, everybody. Maybe one day I will get a producer who will not do that. Uh, but until then, but until then, I hold on. Stop calling everybody. Uh, participants, here we go. All right, you should be back on momentarily. Let's go see how much you guys are all enjoying this in the best part right here. Yeah, I'm glad you're all liking it, okay? I'm glad this is low-value mail. It's not called high-value mail. It's called low-value mail. Tell you about Europe. I had a great time in Europe. Um, very good time in Europe. Uh, come on, Steve. Come on, Steve. Uh, we had a great time in Europe. Um the hot dogs were phenomenal. I ate so many hot dogs. Copenhagen, I would say best hot dog. Best hot dog. They have these little, they're these little buns, but there's like a huge dog. Uh, pretty solid. Uh, the shows were amazing. There he is. Um, hello, Steve. Sorry about that. I am. I think I'm back. I am just an idiot. Uh, no worries. Uh, hold on a second. Let me just frame this up again. And sorry about that. I. Oh, here we go. Okay, one moment, please. And we're back with Steve Lazarus, everybody. Thank you for uh, apologies for that. I, I accidentally, I went to go remove the collar. I haven't done this in a while. I haven't done this in a while, but uh, we have. Okay, we're back. Thanks again, Steve. Uh, apologies for that. I had a little tech 
hiccup, but it's not called high value mail. It's called low value mail. Uh, all right, let's take another call. One moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling low value mail. Who am I speaking with? You're speaking with Seth. Okay, I don't know who that is. I didn't hear that, but one moment while we patch you through. All right, you are on with Steve Lazarus. Go ahead. How's it going, Steve? How's it going, Danny? Very good. 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 How are you doing? Good. Hey, I was wondering if you knew anything about uh, recently when they were doing the J6 probe, one of the, or at least they've been saying on a lot of reports, federal agencies, including the FBI, had requested bank documents with anything relating to purchases that featured the words Trump and MAGA with them. Uh, I live in the South. Obviously, there's a lot of people around here who support Trump and make America great again as a movement. Uh, so I'm sure. just curious if you have any information on that. I know I don't know anything about it. I'm, I'm in the South, too. I'm down in South Carolina. And uh, no, I don't know anything about that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be skeptical. That to me sounds like something kind of broad to put in a search warrant or, a, or a, an affidavit. I kind of sounds a little bit beyond the pale to me, but I, uh, I, I wish I could give you more information about that. Unfortunately, I am, I'm a retired guy too. So right. I just don't know. I just don't know that, that, that on its face sounds a little bit fishy to me. I mean, you know, uh, anything that says, yeah, Trump a lot of out- outlets reported on it, but it was like, uh, also it was associated with specifically requests to bank of America. So I don't know okay. why that would be the case either. Just something that was kicking around the internet. I know the Daily Caller reported on it, and several other outlets okay. have talked about that. Okay, yeah, good. It's it's a good question, and I wish I had a better answer for you, but I I haven't heard of it, and I really really wouldn't know anything about that. All right. Hey, no problem, no problem. Thanks for coming on, Steve. We appreciate you. Thanks, caller. Hey, thanks for calling in. Is there a lot of stuff in the media where they'll say something regarding the FBI and you're like, that's complete bullshit? Like in terms of they'll say, like, we had some sort of source and you go, Wait, like, is there because I know there's so many of you where, you know, I guess it only takes one. But I, I just wonder, is there. So one of the things I'm really careful about is is to say I know something versus I believe something to be right. true. Because I, right. I think words are important. And I think that if you say, you know, something then you by God ought to know it for sure. But so I'm not going to say like, oh, I know nobody sent uh, sent a search warrant off to a, a bank or a request for production off to a bank with those things in it. But I will say it sounds a little bit fishy and I I would look at it with a jaded eye and I'd want to see it for my for my own self. Um, yeah, there, there are some things about the Bureau that I just absolutely know for a fact not to be true. Um, sorry, folks, we were not behind January 6th. <laughs> that was not us. Were there FBI people in the crowd? Hell yeah, we've been over that already. You know, if you're going to have large numbers of people like the Proud Boys showing up that we know to be an organization that can incite violence, then yeah, you're going to you're going to have some people in the crowd reporting. You're going to have some people probably there were probably some snitches there as well as probably a, a few undercovers. Um, but you know, if, how do if, yeah yeah sorry to cut you off. I was always wondering how like how do the FBI go about getting confidential informants? Because I imagine there must be a ton of them in all sorts of different, and I imagine they're very valuable to the FBI. So I'll actually go back to one thing that one caller said, and I think it was it was it Sean who called in who was talking about the Gretchen Whitmer case. Um, he said, how, "Yeah, I think it was." He said, "How often 
is are there more FBI informants or employees in the room than there are actual bad guys? And they're actually we we disconnected his call before I had a chance to answer that. There was one time I could think of. Um, I was investigating an outlaw motorcycle gang back in and yeah, it's a gang, not a club. Uh, back in the mid 2000s, 05, 06 time frame. And um, they had a meeting. It was very poorly attended by the membership, but all of our snitches were there. And uh, there were like four snitches and three actual non-snitch members of the uh, motorcycle club there, gang. Um, so that was the one time in my FBI career. And do you all know each other? Like, do you all know who you are? No, so not by snitches. I'm not. I'm not talking about under, undercovers. I'm talking. Oh, about guys yeah. Oh, these are. Gotcha. I'm talking about guys who are members of the club, who are members right. of the gang. But but for one reason or another, usually because they got jammed up on something else, right? They were talking to us. Um, but you know, if I wanted to taunt one of these guys from the outlaw motorcycle gang, I'd say, yeah. Next time you're when you're when your little meetings, look to your left and look to your right. Statistically, one of those two guys is a snitch. Right. And I guess they and they must know that that's just right, that there's always but there's really it's probably a hard thing to to know who who's who. But you always have to assume there's one somewhere. Right. Yeah. Some of them started putting in rules like before meetings, they'd shake down, especially newer members. You know, they'd make everybody leave phones outside. They they, you know, do body searches and, you know, check for electronic listening devices and all that. But. You know, the, the, by that point, we had them so concealable that, you know, you'd never you'd never ever see them. You'd never find them. But they are actually so they're they were because, you know, you see like the 80s, like the wires. And then like it looks like you're wearing like a Walkman like stuck. I always wondered because you'd be like these huge clunky things. But you'd have to think now it's like do you guys. Yeah, the get... first guy... yeah go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> the, first guy, the first guy I ever sent into a uh, to a, a meeting of a, of a sort of a criminal conspiracy. I wired him up with something called a Nagra. And I, I'm sure that I can talk about it because I'm sure, please God, let these not be in use in the FBI anymore. It was about that big. It was about the size of, yeah, a large, large Sony Walkman or PlayStation or something like that. Or um, uh, not the PlayStation, but the, the handheld yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he's like, Jesus Christ, man, really? I got to wear this thing? You're going to get me killed. And they said, "Well, yeah, it's it." And, and the, the the technicians, the the, the uh, electronics technicians, would tell you, "Yeah, but this thing gives you studio quality sound." I was like, <laughs> "Goddamn right! It's a fucking it's a recording studio in this guy's pants." Yeah, you know. And if he gets caught with it, you know, he he's a dead man. But we actually used to use things like that. Now, you know, you can look all day; you'll never find them. Right, because they're just like microscopic. Do you guys get like a? Do you have some sort of element with the FBI where they run you down all this like new technology, like all this? I, mess, I imagine it's mostly surveillance stuff. And like, is it true? Can you guys just like turn people's? You know, can you turn like a phone that's off, like it's it's uh like a listening device on? Like, is it? Yeah, is I'm it... not going to talk about. I won't talk about that, but I'll okay. talk about in general. I, w- I will talk about in general what it takes because uh, I think this is another misconception that could probably use straightening out. Sure. Um, what it takes to get a warrant to actually tap somebody's phone or to interfere with somebody's phone, it's a tremendous amount of work. The first thing you have to do is you got to write up an affidavit that's probably about 30 pages long, and you got to detail all the criminal activity. You have to detail. And, and here's the part that a lot of people don't know. One of the things I have to detail before I can crack into your phone is that I have used every other investigative means at my disposal 
to try to um, uncover more of your criminal activity, and they've all failed. And I have to detail how they fail. And then if a judge grants me the authority to tap your phone, it's only for a set period of time, usually 30 to 60 days. And at the end of that 60 days, I have to take them a, 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 a printout of every single call that we've uh, that we've intercepted. I have to talk about when we minimize things. That means at, at some point during the call, you were talking to your wife about what to get at the grocery store, as opposed to talking to your your dealer about how many kilos to deliver to the corner of walk and wait and uh, how much minimizing we did and how much we got. And then we have to re-justify everything to re-up it for, it's a tremendous amount of work. And it's it's not something that that you can just snap your fingers and be in somebody's phone. That's Hollywood. Yeah, that's not. And because I wonder, because you, you know, a lot of um, TV shows, like they, they must, they would hire people essentially like you to essentially get stuff because they try and be as accurate as possible, right? But I guess sometimes just, it's not the most entertaining thing. To, uh... Well, and a and, and perfect, perfect example of that was when the movie The Hurt Locker came out and uh, myself and a bunch of my bomb tech buddies went to go see The Hurt Locker. And I thought The Hurt Locker was a fantastic movie. If I recall, it won Best Picture, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe so, yeah. And some of the guys, you know, who I think were a little bit too full of themselves, oh, this was bullshit and that was bullshit and I didn't like this and I didn't like that. I said, dude, people are not going to pay $12 to sit there for two hours and watch what we actually do for a living because what we do is hideously boring, okay? They they had to Hollywood that up just a little bit, you know, don't, don't you think? So. Yeah, okay. All right, we got another call here. One moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Uh, oh, there he is. Yeah, yeah, hold on, hold on. We, we got to patch you through. All right, you are on with Steve Lazarus. Go ahead. Hey, what's going on, Steve? Uh, uh, first things first, uh, I just found it kind of unsettling that you uh, gave out some advice on uh, uh, manufacturing explosives. I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> professional. It, it seems unprofessional. Like, tell, and tell I know me what it's it is. A comedy show. Yeah, not tell a comedy me what it is show. you heard. Tell me what it is you heard specifically, and what how you think that uh, you could use it to manufacture explosives. Tell me, tell me specifically, guys. I have a yeah. goddamn YouTube channel that I'd like to keep. Please, everybody, let's yeah. just keep our and heads. If, and, and if I said something <laughs> well, I mean, unprofessional, that, I, I will apologize before nah, the entire web, webosphere. No, I don't think so. No, go ahead, go ahead. I, I mean, I don't remember anything you said about how to. Well, I mean, it, it, it's funny you bring this up because uh, earlier you used the uh, term. Perception management was speaking about the uh, PR that, you know, the federal, uh, like the FBI and the ATF was doing during, you know, Ruby Ridge and the ATF. So right. it, it, it's just, you know, I, that, I, that uh, points to your level of professionalism and, you know. So, so I'm going I'm 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 to take you back to your question again. I, I'd, I'd like to know what it was that I said that could, that, that could uh, in any way help people. Cause I, I'm going to hold you to your question because I think it's a reasonable question. And if I did something like that, I want to apologize before God and everybody. Tell me what it was that I said. Well, would you, uh, would you, would you, would you, can you assist me? Like you're, you're a federal person. <laughs> oh, like, you want me to assist like, you? Yeah, that's, that's not well, the way this works. Look, I got, I, I'm, um, I got a lot of free time, and I heard y'all paying for me. So, let's. Uh, Do you guys? Is that true? Do you I'm pay? Gonna, uh, hold on, just, hold on. Are there paid informants where that's like a profession? Well, it's not a profession. You're going to, you know, well, some guys will make a living off of it, but yeah, generally. So informants work for, there's different incentives for informants. Uh, some of them are doing it um, very few. 
but some of them are doing it for God and country. Uh, some of them are doing it for the excitement. They think it's just an exciting thing to do. And some of them are doing it to work off a case. And some of them are doing it for money. There so are people it, it who, who purely, and so for someone who is doing it for excitement, do they reach out to the, would they go reach out to the FBI and just say like, Hey, I'm in this position where I think I can help you. I just kind of want to do it. Yeah. I've had people, I've had people who've been informants for me who've done that. Sure. And they just, most, they just call the FBI like field office kind of thing and just say, Hey, I'm. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll either be a walk-in or they'll usually it's a walk-in off the street. They'll go in and see the reception and say, I want to talk to an FBI agent. And then some poor schmuck who's just sitting on complaint duty that day gets called down to the, uh, gets called down to the, uh, the switchboard room, say, all right, you know, what, what do you got for me? And, um, if it's not something you work, you normally put them in touch with an agent who does like, if they're coming in talking about public corruption, for instance, you put them in touch with somebody on a public corruption squad. Most of the informants that I worked with fell into one of two categories. They were doing it to work off uh, a charge or they were doing it for money. For money. <laughs> and so the, if, yeah. if you're doing it for money, because uh, obviously the working off a charge thing makes sense because people get in trouble and then they want to get in less trouble. Someone yeah. who's doing it for money, they're straight up just like, like, do they dictate the terms in terms of like, do they say, never, I'll, I'll do this if never. you give, if you give never. never. The inmates, the inmates do not run the asylum. The monkeys do not run the zoo. No, sir. Never. So, so is it, they come to you and they say, Hey, I can do this. How much will you, cause isn't that kind of like playing your hand a bit there to say, Hey, I can provide you this. Like, what's that worth to you? And then you say this and they say, no, that's too low. But now they kind of, you're like, I've never actually been in negotiations with a uh, with an informant before. I've said, "Look, okay. man, I can I can get you this much." And I also I always played the part um, of whenever I come, like if I was giving you hell, if I was giving you five thousand dollars, I'd say, "Hey, man, you know, I really wish I could give you more. You did a great job for us here. I wish I could give you more." You know, my boss he's he's got these budgets to worry about. I, I'd blame everything on the boss that they couldn't see. Right. So they that they they maintained that friendly relationship with me and always thought that uh, you know Agent Steve was doing everything he could for them. Interesting. Good. It's inter it's interesting that you uh you mentioned God. You know, uh, like would would you personally would you put uh for, what would you put forth first uh, allegiance to the One Mighty above or allegiance to the agency? Like, I because here's the thing: the agency, the agency hasn't been. Did I bring up where, where, where after I told you how to build a bomb? <laughs> he said, "God, God." All right. Oh, see, there you go. See, there you go. You, you keep trying to get me back. Right. Are you mad, bro? He, he's ram he's rambling, and we got another caller. All right, hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Hey, Danny. This is Todd from Florida. Todd from Florida. One moment, please. Sorry, Slav. You were rambling. Uh Todd from Florida. You are on with Steve. Go ahead. Hey, Mr. Lazarus, how are you doing tonight? Good, good, Todd, and please, please call me, please, not so formal. Call me Mr. Steve. Mr. Steve. Mr. Steve, all right. <laughs> uh, call me Steve, man. How questions. you doing? Good. I'm all right. How are you? Good. Two questions. First one is for Danny. Danny, whenever you got back to... Uh, Why are you whispering? You got, do you have a child sleeping right now? Sounds like you're whispering. No, my wife. Broke oh. her collarbone last week, and oh, I'm no. sneaking out of the house so I can okay, actually okay, okay. speak freely. All right, okay, go ahead. All right, just a little bit better. Yeah, 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 better, better. All right, 
Danny, whenever you got through customs, did they ask you if you were uh, going to assist in digging any tunnels? <laughs> the tunnels? No, no, they're not. Although we found some really nice tunnels in Stockholm. Stockholm is, I, I think they were old bomb shelters or whatever, but it's crazy. I that, saw the, your that, MTV crips. That tunneling story... I'm sure you know about it, Steve. Like the Orthodox. Yeah, Jewish. dude, you probably want to lay off the you probably want to lay off the Gaza commentary if you want to keep your Instagram shit together, right? Ha! <laughs> Funny you say that because I lost my Instagram for exactly. I know. Oh yeah, right, right, right. for exactly. I know. Yeah. I was, I, I was oh, okay. That oh, I came on the show. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I actually spoke with someone at Meta today who who believes that they'll they'll be able to get it back for me. Thankfully. But because uh, people, because I'm Jewish and everybody's like, well, what about these tunnels? I'm like, I'm telling you, every Jew I know thinks this is the funniest thing they've ever heard of in their lives. But this story is like global with the tunnels. It's the, like, you Are bring you talking it up. about the ones underneath the synagogue? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, it's hilarious. Um, all right. Next question, caller. All right. Uh, Steve, for you, Mr. Steve, sorry. Um, <laughs> I have. I have a daughter, 14, so I know yep. one of your big things is not letting them have free reign over iPhones, cell phones, stuff like that. Yep. Her mother and I are split up, and it's 50-50, one week on, one week off with me and her mother, and I really have no say over what happens with technology over there she has free reign over tiktok instagram i've found just not good things online that my daughter's posted and stuff and it's, it's not good for a 14 year old is yep. how i've tried to get through to her my daughter to try to tell her that it's not good to post these things because there are like not good people online like there's just she doesn't really understand what a pedophile is, but mm -hmm. I can't control anything that she posts whenever my daughter's over at her mom's house. But is there any way I can kind of like mitigate how it's going out on the web? Can I somehow rein it in where it's, whereas my daughter might think she's posting things like on the web and it's not actually going out or how how would i be able to do anything like that that's a, yeah, man, this whole thing seems that. like a huge nightmare for parents right now it is a nightmare and the, the problem that you the problem that you have is um you you say your wife is sleeping in the room i assume that's not that's not your daughter's mother um so no, no it's not yeah and if and if her mom is if her mom is not participating in part of the solution i wish i had a better answer for you i do know that with teens usually they listen to somebody of the same sex a little bit more than they listen to somebody of the opposite sex so mom or a, 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 an older female who is influential with her is more influential than dad i know that i have three daughters and i know that uh their mom was always more influential with them than I was. Your daughter is at an interesting age. I, first of all, thank you for watching my TikTok video. Obviously, that was one of the ones you were watching where I said I wouldn't why I wouldn't give my kids unsupervised access to the internet. But oh, I used it in in that one. I used a twelve year old as an example. Your daughter is kind of in no man's land. I think at sixteen, they're old enough to sort of like figure out like get away from me, creep. At 12, they're not. And at 14, 
man, they're just somewhere in between right now. Um, you know, she's wow, 14, 14 right now in our age is so much different. I'm 34, yeah. turning 35 this year. 14 is so much different than it was when I was 14. Right. No, I, I, I hear you. Well, when, when I was 14, when I was your age, but, you know, we, we didn't, you know, there was no one there. there it did not exist. Literally did not exist. Um, uh, and uh, so I, I wish I had a better, but no, the, the short answer is there's no way for you to in any way affect her phone or anything like that. There's uh, um, all you can do is just try your best to find who is the most important person that can, that can, impress things upon her about safety and about uh um you know yeah. things that she doesn't want to do online are there no parental control stuff that you can get like there are but but if, if, if it sounds like mom is if it sounds like mom is half the problem you know and if she's just if she's not going to enforce it or what have you you know it, it sounds like i don't, I don't know how dad yeah there's there's net nanny and, and all kinds of different parental control apps. But you have to that's, use that. That's the thing. There 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 are parental control apps that you can do, but for me, her mother is taking it as the turn of I'm not paying the bills. It is her it is taking it's her parental controls to where it is her phone. She is allowed to pay the bill and it is whatever she wait, wants. Wait, your 14 year old pa is paying her cell phone bill? No, no, my, my ex. Your ex pays the bill. So then she's like, oh, whatever I say goes. Yeah. It sounds like exactly. she's using like, she's using that as a stick to beat you around the head and shoulders with too. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, I, feel we, for I wish we, I had a better answer. We've had on, I've, or I've had, sorry, on this show, uh, this guy, Alex Rosen, who I don't know if you've ever seen it. He's like one of those online, like pedophile hunters where he basically goes and he literally like, you know, catches, he's like an amateur essentially. And Surprise. Like, I'm not a yeah. 14 year old girl. Ha ha. He's this huge, he's like six, eight, 300 pound bearded dude. He looks like he's 40, but he's actually like 22. He used to play um, college football. He's like a lineman and he just goes around. But his whole thing is he pretends like he's like a 12 year old. And I was talking to him and he's like, you do not even get how easy it is. Like I make like a fake account. I'm like pretending I'm 12 or whatever. And you go in like within not very long. He's like the message is just like flooding in. Yeah. Danny, so, you don't even know. Uh, like she, uh, my daughter has not brought her phone to we do Sunday to Sunday split 50 50 custody comes over Sunday. She has not brought her cell phone over for over a year. She doesn't have it. So she doesn't it have it for a week. A 14 year old goes without no, a cell phone for a week. And she act completely fine. She comes over here. She does art drawings reads books and acts completely fine but over there i mean i've seen old tiktoks and done screen records it's mm, it's disgusting actually what she has done and i brought it up to the other side of the family and they're like well it's her phone she can do kind of whatever but it's i i don't know what to do yeah I don't know. That that seems like a very difficult uh, situation right now. 
maybe some sort of scared straight. Like, uh, you remember that show Arrested Development where they were like teaching the lessons by they would like hire these actors to teach lessons. I don't know. <laughs> I, I really well, don't know. Guy, I don't even every, know if that's... every single every single one of the lessons the guy got his arm ripped off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But something like that where you just like scare you know, you have to scare her essentially. I don't know. I don't know. Steve, anything? <laughs> Steve's yeah. No nah, man, I, I again I, I think that maybe I don't know what the situation is with you and the ex, but if you can sit down and have a conversation with her and say, look, you know, this this is some of the things that I'm really concerned about. And, you know, if she's her mom and she cares about her, she ought to be able to put aside whatever acrimony you have between the two of you and, and you know, think about think about the kid. Yeah. All right. Good luck, caller. Okay. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you, Danny. Bye. Ah, that sucks. Um, yeah, yeah. There's not. I, I imagine there's. That's a very common problem right now. Does does the F like does the FBI? I imagine it's all dealt or split up into like just different. Uh, is it all just like divisions? Like do you does everybody like specialize essentially? Or yeah, there so there's fifty six. There's fifty six field offices in the United States, all all over the place, and then a whole bunch of resident ag- resident agencies, smaller sub offices out of those fifty six field offices. And then within each one, you'll find a different squad working all different categories of crime. And just about every one of them has got a, a uh, you know, a crimes against children, you know, child, child sexual abuse, what we call innocent images squad uh, that investigates not only child pornography, the production of it, the possession of it, but also people who travel interstate to have sex with minors. Um, and that's way, way, way more frequent than you think. And by minors, I'm talking like, you know, Fuck, dude. We're talking about toddlers here. We're talking about people. We're talking about people who. This is how stupid I was when I was the the media coordinator. Uh, I had to put together a press release about a guy who had traveled to have sex with a uh, two year old that he met online. And of course, I'm asking. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing out of nervousness now, not because this is funny, yeah. but I, I I asked the case agent. I said, I don't understand. How can a two-year-old use the internet? I mean, that's literally, as you said that, I go, how does a two-year-old, that's exactly the thing I thought. It was the kid's mom pimping him out, pimping, pimping her out. I mean, yeah. that shit go, that shit goes on. There, the seamy, the, 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 the I could work a lot of different crimes, man. I mean, I, I you know, literally was pulling chunks of, of, of bodies out of smoking holes in Afghanistan for, uh, for, for a period of time. And I, I could go home at night and I could, you know, eat a good meal and go to sleep and sleep just fine. Um, the shit that the people who work the, the child pornography thing have to do, I keep me away from that. I, yeah, I can only I don't imagine. want anything to do with it. Do they like force them to like see therapists and stuff? Because you must have to be forced to just view some crazy shit and just kind of be experiencing just like this. Yeah, stuff. it's every so often. I think every six months or something, they got to go in and get a, uh, you know, a, a checkup from the neck up, make sure that, uh, they're, they're, they're not losing it. Um, yeah. And I, very few people stay in that for very long. They usually got to rotate out of that and do something else. Yeah. Okay. We got another call. One moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey, this is Frank from Long Island. Frank from Long Island. One moment, please, while we patch you through. And all right. Frank from Long Island. You're on with Steve Lazarus. Go ahead. Hey. So yeah, um, I called up a little while ago the Committee of Three Hundred guy. That's me, um, mm-hmm. Steve. I wanted to ask you, what do you think about the FBI whistleblowers eight months ago that testified in front of the uh, House Committee 
regarding the uh, weaponization of the federal government? I don't know enough about that, and I'm, I'm sorry. I, I um, It does not surprise me that somebody made an accusation that the FBI was mistreating whistleblowers. Um, and I don't uh, think yeah, it's four, because... four people. Yeah, four people came forward. One mm-hmm. guy um, was just, uh, he seems like the FBI completely destroyed his whole life um, to the point where they baited, they baited and switched him. Um, they said, come Sorry, to can this you, place. For, for and, people who don't know, because I actually don't know the story, can you just kind of fill us in on what happened here? Okay, so eight months ago, so May 18, 2023, I'm at, I'm at the, um, the YouTube uh, Forbes Breaking News uh, segment right there. There was about four different FBI whistleblowers that testified in front of con- Congress regarding the weaponization of the federal government against the people of the United States. Um, uh, the first person, I guess he just spoke out or he had some issues. Um, the second person, um, was actually in the detail that was, um, following around, uh, parents that were complaining to school boards. And he was actually sitting in the park as FBI agent who had said, who said that, uh, um, they told him to sit in the parking lot and take down people's plate numbers. Uh, and then there was, uh, I think, two other people who um, uh, testified as well. And as they were testifying and uh, telling about all the stuff that they were they were told to do by the FBI, um, and uh, they, they kind of disagreed with it, the Democrats, not to make this a political issue, but the Democrats were trying to kind of crap on these witnesses. And what's crazy is that one of the witnesses, the one that testified last, was actually... FBI agent of the year. So um, I was just curious if uh, if your guest knew about that because I'm a whistleblower myself. I'm actually I'm actually a three time whistleblower. Um, really? Uh, there's a lot of stuff going of, on. Of what? Yes, yes. Um, well, two for OSHA and one for FTA. Oh right, yeah, you told me. Yeah, yeah, I remember you you calling and talking about that. Uh, any, any, anything? Yeah. There? So, uh, Steve. Yeah. So first off, without without. Knowing more of the context of it, I just don't know. I know that sometimes a whistleblower is a whistleblower. I'm, I'm going to try to be as, as just as deadpan even as I can about this. Sometimes a whistleblower is a whistleblower, and sometimes a whistleblower is somebody who's who's pissed off and has figured out a way to get back at their employee employer. I have no idea which one of these were. Um, and there's there's it's almost irresponsible for me to comment one way or another. So I'm not going to jump to the defense of the FBI. I'm also not going to uh, jump to the defense of the whistleblowers because I don't exactly know what was going on here. I know that in my time in the FBI, uh, we had people, uh, there was one guy who was actually quite a well-known whistleblower. I'm not going to name him here because I don't think he deserves the the airtime. But what he was blowing the whistle on was actually completely legal use of of, whistleblowers. FBI assets in in, in uh, service of FISA warrants against against suspected terrorists, um, and it, he for some reason had developed some sort of a social conscience and had decided that uh, uh, we shouldn't be allowed to tap the phones of people who who would involve themselves in suspected terrorist activity. So again, I think it would be it'd be. I don't want to seem wishy-washy. Well, yeah. well let, me, let me just tell you something specific. Let me just tell you something specific. You could comment on that, and I could take my. Um... Uh, my answer offline uh, is that the, one of the one of the gentlemen they said that 
they they were told by the superior to go and get plate numbers of people that were complaining to the school boards. So okay. um, that's the thing that he complained about. He had the whistleblower complaint. Um, you know, uh, if you were if if you saw on the the House uh, committee, they had the, the weaponization of the federal government. That was one of the key things in there. Um, I haven't watched this video in, in, in quite a while. I wish I knew what the other two or three other witnesses said right off the top of my head, but I don't. But yeah, I'll I'll take my I'll I'll listen to what you have to say offline. Thank you, Dan. Bye. Appreciate okay. it. Hey, hey, take care and thanks for calling. So again, um it, it's it would be, I think, in poor form of me to either jump to the defense of the FBI or the whistleblowers here because I don't know. But we were talking earlier about, you know, Danny, we were talking about kind of like sniff tests. Yeah. And, you know, what what sort of does and doesn't pass a sniff test. Um, a supervisor telling somebody if, if somebody complains at a school board, go get their, their license plate number. That does not pass my sniff test. Um, and what I mean, that, by that just that doesn't is, seem like something that I don't know. I don't see that. That doesn't cross any threshold of either reasonable suspicion or probable cause or or any kind of doubt or anything like that where we would investigate or instigate some kind of a, of a, um, yeah, uh, of an investigation. It's it, it just, it, it just doesn't, doesn't pass my sniff test. Not saying it didn't happen. Not saying we didn't have somebody go off the res. Um, but it, it does not pass my sniff test. Now does, do the FBI have agents, uh, operating outside of the United States? Yes, absolutely. I was one of them. Um, so we have a lot of what we call legal attaches. They're attached. Oh, yeah. FBI sub offices and they're attached to the embassies overseas. Um, and I've served in a number of them again from Kuwait and Iraq and, and UAE and uh, Afghanistan, uh, more in Afghanistan than anywhere else. But they're always and, there with the uh, knowledge of the, those governments. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we do not operate undercover outside the united states that's that's i think what was more of my question and yeah. if we if we did the cia would have our ass because that's that's not our lane right. that is you know covert covert intelligence gathering operations outside the united states that is the cia's lane and we stay out of it and do you guys cross paths with the cia a lot like is, is there overlap? all the time, all all the time. ever since ever since uh 9 and the the sort of wall that jamie gurlick uh gurlick Gorelick, I think her name was, you know, built between the FBI and the CIA. It was later found in the 9-11 Commission to have been, excuse me, to have been one of the, the, the big intelligence failings of our of our IC, our intelligence community. Ever since then, you know, we've been on marching orders. That's that's one of the reasons that you have a director of national intelligence now, as opposed to just the director of intelligence for the FBI and just the CIA director sitting in their chairs. You have a director of national intelligence whose job it is to make sure everybody plays right in the sandbox together and shares info. Interesting. Okay, let's take one last call. Thank you again uh, for joining us. I really appreciate this. One moment. Hello, you're the last call of the night. Who am I speaking with? Hey, stupid Danny. This is Grant from Atlanta. Grant from Atlanta. All right, Grant from Atlanta. Last call of the night. You're on with Steve. Go ahead. My old stomping grounds. How are you? I hope I hope this is one of your... Uh... <laughs> Go ahead, Grant. This is off the record. Uh, hey, GM, G-Man Steve. Uh, had a question about the 302 process. Um, okay. and, and also curious about why the FBI as a 
um, kind of procedural move does not record interviews. I know there's a lot of scrutiny about the admissibility and, and, and um, perception that you know 302s are used as perjury traps, but why hasn't the, the agency adopted a recording of interviews and also um, maybe updated the 302 process to, to include tr uh, transcription? Okay, so first off, for, for the viewers who are not who are not familiar, 302 is an FBI-reported investigation. It is not the statement of the subject or of the witness. It is the statement of the agent as relayed to them by the subject or the witness. So, you know, a 302 would start off, you know, Special Agent Stephen Lazarus met with so-and-so at such-and-such place, and after being advised of the agent's you know, identity and 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 what have you, and, and viewing his credentials, he provided the following statement. But it's the 302 is actually my statement as the agent. And the, the question that you asked is, is an amazingly good question. I can't tell you how many times I was asked that on the stand. And that is, why do you not record interviews? Because I'd be up there testifying about an interview. And of course, it's 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 admissible because they're, you know, statements, statements of uh, of guilt or what have you. And uh um, I'd be asked, well, where's the tape of that? And, and, and of course, the defense attorney asking it, they're just doing this for jury value because they know damn well we don't record interviews. I said, well, we don't record interviews. Well, why not? Well, um, you have me confused with the director of the FBI who sets policy. I said, well, how do you know you don't record interviews? And I, I still remember one time I had to tell a guy, he said, well, where is it written? I said, I don't know where it's written. I don't know where it's written that I'm required to wear a suit and tie to work every day, but I know I'm required to. And that kind of shut him up. But that said, it is my understanding, and I could probably check this out pretty easily, that they are recording interviews now. Um, that, And I think, so I got out in 2018, but by that point, I hadn't done any criminal investigation because I was in a full-time specialty bomb unit from 2014 on. I think around 2017, 2018, they started recording interviews. Um, and I don't know if it's all of them. It used to be that we had to get special agent approval to record an interview. Um, and I never, ever recorded an interview. And uh, unfortunately, I had the same answer for you that I had for that defense attorney who was trying to grill me on the stand. I don't know why it was. I don't know what the policy was, but I think they are now. Yeah. And it was like that for, I guess, ever. Like, and when you say record interviews, like, obviously, I guess you mean just like audio record. So then are you just relying on, like, are you doing it in the moment? Or are you relying on memory? Like, after so that? I would, I took very copious notes during interviews and it was great. One of the things that a, a defense attorney could ask for in discovery, they could ask for copies of your notes. So I took all these notes and my handwriting, I, I would always tell them, yeah, absolutely. I'll turn over my notes to you and good luck deciphering because I'm not required to decipher them for you. I'm just required to provide them to you. And I took them every agent sort of because you can't write word for word what somebody's saying. Every agent develops kind of their own personal shorthand. And I had to go pretty much bang out that 302 the same day as I took the notes. Otherwise, if I went and looked at my notes, I was like, what the hell did I say there? That's, what is that? I, I couldn't tell what the guy said. So yeah. I would usually go bang out that 302 that very day. Um, but no, it's, it's a very good question. I never heard of the 302 recalled, uh, called a, a, a perjury trap because again, it's, it's not, you can't perjure yourself in the 302 unless 
you're an agent, I guess you could perjure yourself in a 302. That would be that would be really stupid. But you can't, the subject can't perjure themselves in a 302. Um, they can get caught up in what we call a 1001 violation. A thou, uh, 18 U.S.C. 1001 is a, is, is a false statement to a federal official who's performing an official duty. So, yeah. and that is, that is almost, the, the most famous person I can think of that ever got prosecuted for that and actually went to jail for that was Martha Stewart. Really? Wow. She's the only person I've ever heard of that, that actually did time on 1001. Huh. Interesting. Um, all right. Grant, anything else? Uh, just one quick question. Um, yes. uh, as a follow up to that, uh, you know, like the FBI, one of their kind of, uh, objectives is, is security, um, uh, intelligence, and then also being the law enforcement arm uh, of the justice department. I'm just kind of curious, um, when you talk about these cases that come up, you know, you mentioned some political, um, you know, cases like like how how are the priorities of the agency set? Are they are they, you know, at the local field office? Are they working with local, um, you know, law you know law enforcement to come up with some sort of a a case where it would require the FBI to be involved, or is it uh, kind of on a top down basis where where things are kind of pushed? for approval at the top to, to really kind of proceed forward on an investigation? That's an outstanding question. So first off, the FBI has its its priority list of cases, and please don't, don't ask me to name the acronym. I can't even think of those things anymore. Um, but the FBI comes out every year and sort of reorganizes it, and, and counterterrorism is going to be at the top every year, stopping, you know, stopping a terrorist attacks against the United States and the homeland is going to be at the top every year. Um, you know, cyber attacks is, is at the very top, preventing uh, uh, breaches of our intelligence system, counterespionage sorts of things at the very top. Um, you know, things like busting drug dealers and all that kind of slide down towards the bottom. Within that context, each field office, each each uh, special agent in charge is tasked with identifying the crime problems in their area of responsibility. And yes, they do work with their state and local counterparts in their areas to determine, um, all right, what are the, 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 the major crimes here? So you're never going to be able to deviate from uh, what the FBI says are your top, you know, five, six, seven crime problems. But what you can do within each field office is the SAC can say, okay, I'm dedicating this many. So this may be the number three crime problem for the FBI, and we're going to address it. However, um, I'm not going to spend as many people on this as I'm going to on the number four crime problem, because in my particular AOR area of responsibility, this number four crime problem requires a lot more manpower. So I'm going to throw more manpower at it. Um, but yes, it is a very, very statistically driven process. It's a very metric driven process. And quite frankly, it's a pain in the ass to administer. And it's one of the reasons why I was never a supervisor in the field. I was a supervisor only when I was in this specialty bomb unit at Quantico. All right. Thanks, Grant. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. That has been the show. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me. I apologize again for the little technical snafu. Uh, where's the best place? Where's the best place for people to find you if they want to follow you further? So you can buy the book. Uh, call me Sonny on Amazon.com. I'm at Steve Lazarus books.com. 
Uh, also, Steve Lazarus books on Instagram, on TikTok. Uh, we're going to continue putting out content and uh, maybe moving into a uh, into a uh, news discussion platform. That we, we might try to get a, a subscription platform to that. Uh, you know, all, all kinds of all kinds of things being thought about. Great. Well, I will uh, put all that stuff uh, below so people can find you. Thank you very much, everybody. Don't forget, we're doing an after show. It'll start in about 10 minutes. Come join me. Uh, all right. Good night, everybody. Thank you again. I'm raising my stock, not talking my feet in some Birkin. Number Johnny Five got a fucking short circuit. Bring the track to life when I spit phenomenal. When I hit, she feel that shit in her abdominals. These rappers make me laugh like comic view, they comic view. You know I got a ball out, I hit the track running just like Sonic do. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. They was trying to get me on my hype shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. And they tried to down me up some KO type shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. Now we pulling up fresh on some flight shit. Ah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Uh, they don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. They was trying to get me on my hype shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. Then they tried to down me up some kale type shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah.